politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, and our property here at CR Podcast. This last day of the week, Friday, last day of the month, and last day of the fiscal year 2022, when we reflect upon the previous fiscal year, where we did not just face a fiscal calamity, but a calamity of life, of humanity, of culture, of sovereignty, that of the individual and the nation, of scarcity, scarcity of every known, needed good and service, and all done by design. And that's when you sew up the year with a new budget bill to fund the government into the next fiscal year, and that's your opportunity to redress all of those grievances And what did Republicans do? Well, yesterday, half the Senate Republicans, about half of them, 22 of them, including all of leadership, Mitch McConnell, voted not only to give a blank check. Yes, it is great what you did to us. It is great that the FBI is persecuting us, that CDC is persecuting us, that DHS is working with the cartels to invade our country, and that every aspect of government is engaging in a controlled demolition of food and fuel. But we're actually going to take those very elements and not only fund them, but fund them more, giving another $12 billion to Ukraine, another more than $3 billion to Afghan refugees, and Americans are last. And I looked down the list of these uh, Republicans that voted for this, and I I look at it with, with much sorrow because I see names of people from deep red states that... I know I've been in this long enough that they had a primary at some point, and I was always there to push an opponent. But so few people, few people were there with me. Whether it's Romney in Utah, Tillis in North Carolina, Wicker in Mississippi, Young in Indiana, Moran in Kansas, I've opposed all of these people. Murkowski, obviously. Hyde Smith in Mississippi. I supported uh, Chris McDaniel. Grassley. Grassley voted for it. You're my witness. I tried to help the candidate who ran against him this very year. Cornyn. Likewise, I was there at the time. Cassidy. Capito in West Virginia, although she didn't really have much of a primary. And on and on. And of course, Mitch McConnell. I was involved in the primary against him. But, you know... I'm not going to repeat the same failures. I've given up on the federal system. There's nothing you're going to do that's really going to change it. Obviously, I'm going to call out certain plays that that should be made when they can with no expectation that anyone's going to push them. But here's the thing. Republicans can go and betray us in broad daylight on the most spectacular pieces of legislation pertaining to the most important issues at the most critical junctures in history. And they won't even face any criticism. I'm saying, put yourself in Mitch McConnell's shoes. Why should you even care? Why should you care? Here we are. We have an America, and really a globe, where birth rates are near record lows. Death rates are skyrocketing. We got sudden cancers, blood disorders, heart ailments through the roof, menstrual cycles out of whack, miscarriages everywhere. 
high school football players dropping dead out of nowhere, people dropping on live TV everywhere, life expectancy slid back two years, over 14,000 categories of injuries from the shots reported, a shot that appears to erase natural immunity and perpetuate the need for itself, hospitals becoming killing fields, an entire generation of children with emotional, mental disorders and depression, Yet life goes on for almost everyone. Republicans won't say a word. What's interesting is that uh, Giorgio Maloney, the newly elected prime minister of Italy, promised to establish a parliamentary commission on, quote, the, dis- the disastrous management of the pandemic. We don't even have such a promise from a GOP house. They haven't even promised that. And you know what I find interesting? See, everyone will say, look, Daniel, Kevin McCarthy, the House Republicans, they're going to do a lot of good. This is really the the Senate Republicans screwing us, um, you know, because you need 10 Republicans to fit to or Democrats need 10 Republicans to vote with them. And they had a lot more than 10. They had 22. There's nothing we can do. Um, and then Democrats control the House with a simple majority. So now they could pass the CR. But that won't be the case next year. Well, first of all, Come December 16th, they're going to complete the entire fiscal year's appropriation, so we won't even have the ability to fight until next September. That's number one. But number two, there's something very interesting. We know Mitch McConnell supported taking away the leverage of a Republican Congress. But what about Kevin McCarthy? I verified this with Chip Roy. I, I, I sent him a message today. I said, am I missing something? Was it only people like you and the Freedom Caucus held some sort of a, a press conference calling on them to punt the deadline, the duration of the continuing resolution into early next year? I was like, am I missing something? Did Kevin McCarthy not say a word about it? He's like, no, he didn't. I mean, here's the guy who's going to be speaker of... The House, the body that you control with a simple majority, where you could have the leverage to hold up all the budget bills and pass out only your budget bills. And they're sitting and preemptively taking away your first year of governance. And yet he doesn't say anything. And the answer is, of course he didn't say anything because it's a win-win for him. He doesn't want the headache of people like us on his case saying, look what you can do now. You control the House. Stand by your budget bill. Don't blink. If the Senate balks at it, you balk at their bill. And, and, and so what if you have a shutdown? He doesn't want that. He actually loves this. So he could say, look, there's nothing we can do. And then he'll turn around and play around with standalone legislation. Okay, standalone legislation that won't go anywhere. And then there's certain things he won't even do standalone legislation, such as getting rid of uh, immunity for the drug companies. That's obviously not going to happen. And then just hold hearings. So they'll haul in the FBI and the FBI will say this is part of an ongoing investigation. So we can't comment. Okay, now what are you going to do about it? You see what I mean? It's budget bills at a federal level which they're never going to fight for, and it's state governors, governors fighting back at a state level, and nobody is focused on that. It drives me absolutely crazy. 
And then we have a government, figuratively and literally, blowing up food and energy while sanctioning Russia in an aimless war, and Republicans vote for it even more, spend even more on it. We have illegals, cartels, gangs, drugs, child rapists flooding our border, the grooming of our children. They have nothing to say. Nothing to say. So I want, to, I want you to keep in mind, the biggest news story of the next five or so weeks is going to be, will Republicans take back the Senate? How many Senate seats will they get? It's understood that they're going to win the House back no matter what. How many seats will they win? And you're seeing in broad daylight when Democrats are the most unpopular they've been and Republicans are in the minority, so it's so easy to vote no. Remember, they're a lot more righteous when they're in the minority. And still, Democrats had something like 75 votes on this, on this budget bill. So certainly when Republicans, let's say, get, I don't know, 51 to 53 Senate seats, and they control, control the floor, uh, you know, just the management of the floor, Democrats could still block with a filibuster like Republicans never do, and they will, but they, can, they control the flow of business on the floor. Do you think you're going to have even 50, much less 60 votes to do anything? No. We only had 25 votes to just simply vote no on something that's so easy to vote no on. So again, it's not holding by a 50-50 Senate. Depending on the issue, it's 75-25, and really when it comes to doing anything meaningful, more like 95-5. So this, we're all living a lie. It's never going to be fixed at this level. Never going to be fixed at this level. And that's why we need to find ways to empower the citizenry to take our own destiny in our own hands. And that's going to be part of today's show with Dr. Henry Ely, our special guest, grand juries, how to convene grand juries at a federal level and in some states to pursue criminal charges against those that we could prove engaged in willful misconduct in government with regard to COVID fascism. It, this is an information war. And we need discovery. We need proceedings. We need um, subpoenas. If, if you're counting on a House Republicans to do this, it ain't, it ain't happening, not in a meaningful way. We need to empower the citizenry so I want to talk about that coming up. First, our sponsor today, another thing, another action item. Stock up on healthy proteins, okay, while you still can. Well, there's no better place to do that than getting oinked with Moink by going to moinkbox.com conservative right now to sign up for monthly boxes of the best tasting, healthiest Grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaska salmon uh, brought straight to your door every month. These are American farmers that are not part of the cartel, that actually don't put in garbage, antibiotics, pro-inflammatory um, additives, all these things that just make even otherwise healthy things unhealthy. Um, and it tastes delicious. You could choose every month um, from ribeyes and chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets. Uh, they have different assortments, so you could customize it. Get oinked with Moink 
And when you sign up at moinkbox.com slash conservative, my listeners can get an entire free filet mignon for a year, free filet mignon with your boxes for a year for limited time. So again, go to moinkbox. That's M-O-I-N-K as in oink, moink. Moinkbox.com slash conservative. That's moinkbox.com slash conservative. Literally, our survival depends upon this. Now, just before we bring on Dr. Ely, um, I want to make sure we just just get some of the some of the criminality that we're seeing. We now have 13,524 excess deaths across Australia for the first six months of the year. Okay? That is a 17.1% above baseline increase in excess death in Australia. Okay? This is in 2022, long after the pandemic was supposed to be gone. Now, we know that Australia's population is, is you know, a fraction of the U.S., right? It's like, I don't know, one-thirteenth that of the U.S. So that, 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 that's a big number, folks. That's a very, very big number. Um, and in fact, that's like... I don't know, like close to 100, 175, 180,000 excess deaths in the U.S. in a six-month period. Okay, that's the equivalent. That is insane. That is utterly insane. And then, you see, we're never going to be able to get a full accounting of deaths. And this, this is a good segue into our guest and why we need grand juries. This is from the Epic Times, and they're doing yeoman's work trying to do FOIAs. FDA is withholding autopsy results on people who died after getting COVID vaccines. The FDA says it's barred from releasing medical files, but a drug safety advocate says it could release the autopsies simply with the personal information redacted. And it was, it was um, in response to a FOIA request for all autopsy Reported uh, reports obtained by the FDA concerning any deaths reported from theirs. Um, the FDA is supposed to investigate them, right? So these are the type of things that we could find out that they're withholding information. They're manipulating data. Okay? Remember, the drug companies are absolved from immunity. But here, the HHS officials... We have so much information on how they manipulated things. And again, I want to talk about that more with Dr. Ely. Um, but I do want to get one other piece of information on COVID. So if you've noticed, in the wake of all of the adverse events, suddenly you start to see an industry crop up behind it to help treat the ailment they deny exists and deny was caused by their first therapeutic. So we've seen this a lot. We're certainly seeing this with this obsessive push on cancer. And by the way, I'm just going to warn you, and I don't want to scare everyone, but I, I don't find it surprising. You see, most things that the vaccines cause, to an, a certain extent, the virus itself causes as well. So they're always going to be able to hide behind, oh, you know, it's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the virus. So... When cancer explodes to a point they can't deny it, they'll say, yeah, it was COVID that did that. And here we're going to come with our new, you know, mRNA platforms to treat cancer. 
and they and they're not going to be wrong. Now, obviously, we have the the beauty of the data, and 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 I know Dr. Ely is also working on this, and maybe we, if we have time, we can get into it. The beauty is that we have uh, calendar years that are perfectly segmented by situation. So 2020 was exclusively the year of the pandemic without the shots. 2021 was the pandemic with the shots. And 2022 is Omicron with the shots. Started around you know January 1st, maybe a little bit December of the previous year. So we could parse that out. And it's very clear that the shots caused most of it. But yeah, I mean, there's no question that the virus itself was a bioweapon. And that needs to be part of the grand jury investigating DARPA and and NIH officials for gain of function. Remember, they are just as culpable for that as they are for the vaccine. But anyway, this is a story from Bloomberg. Big Pharma is chasing a 55 billion prize of safe blood thinners. Bristol, J&J, and Bayer are developing new treatments to prevent blood clots that reduce the risk of unintended bleeding. Gee, what is it? Blood clots are estimated to cause about one in four deaths worldwide. Yeah, gee, you think? Why are we suddenly calling for that? Why are we suddenly calling for that? Well, that's what I want to find out. So how do we find out this information in this information warfare, which that's what it is, to get out the information of who knew what, what did they know, when did they know it, what actions did they take to subvert the data, the policies that were given over to the public, and that literally wound up altering lives both physically, economically, um, Everything. How do we walk away from this? And, and that's why Steve Dace and I uh, wrote the book, Rise of the Fourth Reich. By the way, trialsandexecution.com. It's still available for pre-order, trials and execution. Well, how do we have a trial? Now, I have suggested every state legislature needs to convene commissions. But what could we do as a people? A lot of people forget that there is a grand jury clause in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. And this dates back to really, you know, British common law uh, well before the founding, a concept of something from the people to bring prosecution against those that the legal system doesn't want to prosecute. And my mind started to become tickled by this when we talked about the crime wave. There was this woman in Kansas who was alleging that she was raped and the prosecutor didn't want to bring charges. And Kansas is one of those states where citizens could petition. Kind of like, you know, you get on a ballot or you have a constitutional amendment change. There's a certain threshold based on maybe 2% of the total general election vote in that state. You get enough petition, petitions, you could convene a grand jury to investigate, subpoena, uh, call witnesses, and then eventually vote, usually with a panel of 23, vote on whether there is probable cause to issue an indictment. And then that would force the hands of the prosecutor and a judge, and you would have a regular trial, and then you'd have a regular jury convene uh, um, and, and determine whether to convict that individual. So... There is this avenue in some states, even unilaterally.
But certainly, if the prosecutors, if the attorney generals and all these Republican states would be on board, we can do it anyway, even if, you know, without that provision that, that you know, a lot of states don't have. And then there's the federal system. Is there a way for us to convene grand juries and do our own investigations in front of, you know, 23 random people and they would vote on whether there is probable cause that elements of our government that need to be defined have committed willful misconduct in their manipulation of data and some of their actions pertaining to COVID. And and hopefully that would lead to blowing wide open the shocking discovery of the magnitude of these crimes and we would get change. It's certainly a worthy cause. And if I called for it, I certainly have to promote the ones who are actually doing it. We had on a little while back Dr. Henry Ely. He's the founder of Energetic Health Institute, board certified in holistic nutrition. He talked about how to heal after COVID, after the COVID shots, more the medical side. But this man's doing everything. He started an organization beyond the con, as in con, C-O-N, beyondthecon.com, on March 7th, 2022, together with some lawyers and on behalf of two Oregon uh, and we'll find out why they are state senators, Dennis Linthicum and Kim Thatcher. Um, I actually know Dennis uh, years ago when he ran for Congress and he was just a county official. Um, March 7th of this year, they filed a 63-page grand jury petition to a federal court, federal district judge in Oregon. He happens to be the chief judge of the federal district of Oregon. And he is going to decide whether they have the standing um, and the other parameters they, they've met to petition the creation of that grand jury. And they've named a lot of the key HHS officials from HHS, you know, the secretary, obviously CDC, NIH, um, as defendants in this case. And this is a real, real petition. Look, I don't have faith in these judges, but it's the first blow in this battle and there's a lot more we could likely do, possibly in certain states, even if we don't succeed at a federal level. So with us to discuss this and more is none other than Dr. Henry Ely. Uh, Henry, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Daniel, it's always good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, you certainly were extremely popular last time. A lot of people are suffering. Um, it's heartbreaking. I mean, every day I get messages from people yeah you know this healthy guy middle-aged guy's heart's destroyed where do i go for treatment i'm like uh i don't know i mean you know we have certain protocols for ro roving neurological inflammation but man when you get organ damage what do you do and there's so many people out there and then both parties are just walking away from this like it never happened so your plan is to push a grand jury strategy could you outline what you're doing in Oregon, why Oregon, it's a very liberal federal district, um, why there, and walk us through what you hope to accomplish and sort of the timeline for the creation of this grand jury. Take your time. There's a lot, uh, lot going on there. Yeah, a lot. Well, uh, first and foremost, I think that people need to understand the wheels of justice turn very, very slow. Um, it was, uh, I think, 1969 when uh, the allegations of the Tuskegee experiment first came to light. It doesn't become a congressional investigation for three years. 
from that point. So, you know, you have to just have an attitude that you're going to be relentless in your pursuit of justice, that you are not going to back down and you're going to demand and break through at some point. And that's our attitude. We're going to take this as far as it needs to go. U.S. Supreme Court, getting other states involved, whatever needs to happen, we are going to do it to ensure that this is we're not going to let this go. And I think what ends up happening when you have that mentality and that strategy is the right people start appearing at the right time. So uh, when we first got started with this, we, we notified every U.S. attorney. We got nothing back. We then met Senator Dennis Linthicum and Senator Kim Thatcher and, and briefed them. They jumped on board and said, yeah, we're going to go all the way to the end of the line with this. What do we need to do? We contacted Scott Asfog, who was the acting U.S. attorney uh, in the District of Oregon, um, and they contacted him directly on their letterhead. And the way it's supposed to work, Daniel, is that when a U.S. attorney is appraised of substantiated crimes and the people petitioning that attorney request that the information goes before the grand jury, it's actually legally, they're legally required to present that information to the grand jury. And it's the job of the grand jury to decide whether or not they want to um, pursue an investigation into that. See, the thing that's interesting about grand juries in the United States is that grand juries have the power to obtain information by a variety of mechanisms to investigate allegations, if for no other reason than to confirm that the allegations are unsubstantiated. Mm. You see, a, a grand jury is an independent court of inquiry with the ability to determine its own jurisdiction. That's what our founding fathers installed to make sure the people had a peaceful means to oust corrupt, tyrannical people in government, right? So it was actually a stroke of brilliance on their part to install this. When what we did uh, with that was we got nowhere with the U.S. attorney, Scott Asfog. He didn't do his job. He didn't do his duty. Instead, he sent it up to the Department of Justice, and then they started interacting with the senators and told them to kick rocks, essentially, right? So we said, well, we have to do something that's unprecedented, and what we are doing is unprecedented. We have to actually file this case in U.S. federal court and get a ruling on this. And what's interesting about this case, Daniel, is we're not attempting to uh, get the judge to deliberate on the information we've presented. All we're getting the judge to deliberate on is our First Amendment, Fifth Amendment rights, our rights under U.S. law as citizens to um, petition a grand jury for redress of grievances. And so we're getting the court, we're putting the court in a very uncomfortable position because if they rule against us, they're essentially ruling against the Constitution and our right to petition for redress of grievances. And of course, we have appeals already set up and things like that. If we don't, if the first punch that we throw doesn't land, we'll eventually land a punch. And that's our attitude. You've got to be in this fight for the, the, all the way to the end of the line. That's what we're doing. So, so this judge is determining what whether that u.s attorney from oregon must impanel a grand jury or whether you who who would select it in other words typically it's the prosecutor or the judge that would um you know call the proceedings and and then also present 
you know, usually a prosecutor present the uh, evidence before the grand jury, and then the grand jury foreman kind of runs the show and calls witnesses, subpoenas, and then eventually they have a vote of those 23 individuals, and sometimes, depending on the state, you need two-thirds, you need three-fourths um, to vote that there's probable cause to go on with a trial. Um, so who would initiate that? And, and, and what, what are you asking of the judge to do? Well, see, that's the, that's the point of contention here, is that we are saying it was the duty of the U.S. attorneys to initiate that. They chose not to, which is obstruction of justice, which then brings us to the court because the court can force that to occur. Now, what we are saying in our argument is that because they elected not to, we can't trust that a district attorney or a U.S. attorney is going to present the information in a forthright, honest, candid way to the grand jury. So we're basically requesting of the court that a special master, us, somebody that we decide mm -hmm. on or the court decides on, presents the information so that we can directly interact with the grand jury. Got it. So um, it's a two-part. It's, it's really right. a two-part request. Number one, that they have to convene it. And number two, obviously, you don't want the U.S. attorney kicking and screaming because he's not going to do it properly. Um, they're all appointed by the Biden administration. This is federal court. Um, you guys would. Um, you have Javier Becerra, the HHS secretary named, Walersky, the CDC uh, director, um, and, and a couple of other similar individuals. Now, um, before we go back to procedures and timelines because um, I want to jump around a little bit, but just the scope of what you hope to discover and prosecute. So there's a lot of different crimes here. Again, there's from the cr creation of the uh, virus, the funding of the gain of function, the lying about things w knowingly and promulgating human rights violations. There's the hospital treatments. I mean, that, that might be hard to rope them in, but then there's the the protocols they put out, the protocols they they um, stifled, and then obviously there's everything related to the vaccines. There's remdesivir. There's a lot of different uh, analogs to this crime committed committed by these people. Um, which ones are you able to latch onto legally in the sense that you could point to a federal statute they violated mm -hmm. based on what on the evidence you're presenting? What sort of information do you want to uncover through that? Um, and, and, and again, when you explain that to people, how does this get around the issue with the PREP Act and the 1986 Act that exempts everything pandemic-related mm -hmm. from liability? Well, let's, let's move backwards through that question. Let's start with that good point about the PREP Act and the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. Those create two layers of protection for these uh, these manufacturers of the shots. You can't sue them. That's why no one has received a penny to our knowledge who's been injured by the shot. That's not right. What to in order to breach those protections, you have to be able to prove willful misconduct. Now, what we are alleging in our petition is willful misconduct predicated upon criminal data fraud, particularly with the death certificates, but also including COVID. Um, case counts and hospitalization counts. We feel and we have published peer-reviewed papers that have survived peer review and survived all kind of attacks 
we've published papers that show definitively that the CDC violated three federal laws on March 24th, 2020, and then again on April 14th, uh, 2020, in coming up with, in, in changing how data is collected, but only for COVID. There's a federal process by law that these agencies have to go through. In fact, there are three laws, the Administrative Procedures Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Information Quality Act that all agencies have to go through to ensure that the data that they publish for public consumption uh, is accurate and of the highest quality and integrity. The CDC bypassed that process that all agencies are required to go to. They, they ignored the requirement for federal oversight and they ignored the requirement for public comment before they made their changes. They're attempting to say that it was an emergency and we had to act quickly. Well, there is no emergency that suspends federal law or suspends the Constitution. So what we are arguing in the actual petition is that the grand jury needs to investigate all of our findings, including our peer-reviewed papers, including our interactions with CDC, including our interactions with U.S. attorneys, to understand that they committed significant data fraud that resulted in the hyperinflation of death certificates by at least 85%, but likely closer to 92 to 94%. That means that what they're saying right now, Daniel, is there's over 900,000 Americans who have died, and they're saying due to COVID. The actual number that we have found after we've done 25,000 hours of research into this is about 54,000 Americans over the last two years. What do you need for an emergency to declare an emergency? In terms of public health, you need dead bodies. And what they did was they cooked the books to get those dead bodies so they could justify a public health emergency and in doing so misappropriate, in our allegations, $3.5 trillion of U.S. taxpayer money. So what I'm hearing from you is that this is a little bit more indirect um, than directly challenging the crimes against humanity because crimes against humanity is is not necessarily a federal crime, you know, mm -hmm. violation of the Nuremberg Code. Really, the gen what we call the genocide. You're not directly attack attacking the genocide. What you feel you have the strongest evidence is to show that they violated specific federal laws with um, manipulating of the data, keeping of the data, and through a grand jury proceeding that will see whether there's enough to convict them for um, or probable cause to go to trial for manipulating that data and lying about it um, and, you know, really cooking the books, you will be able to discover and publicize the scope of what they did and uncover what we, you know, the, this sort of discovery that we're not able to get in court because of uh, the, the prep act. But, how does this tie into the vaccines, you know, discovery for that? I mean, that's really what's killing so many people. How are we going to mm -hmm. hit at that in a grand jury? Well, the interesting thing about a grand jury is a grand jury has the ability to determine its own jurisdiction. So once a grand jury starts investigation, they can now start moving into any direction that their information that they're getting takes them. So what we are doing is we're saying, start here. The root of this issue with this crisis is the criminal data fraud and the willful misconduct that had to take place for the criminal data fraud to come into being. 
What that allows them to do is then to expand into remdesivir, and we did make enormous mention of remdesivir in our petition. And then it allows them to extrapolate into the suppression of early treatments as the supposed justification for why we needed an experimental uh, shot to be released uh, on an uh, unsuspecting public that has been decimated by it. What about the gain of function Mm -hmm. in terms of terrorism? Sure. They could even go, the grand jury, if they wanted to, could expand into that. We know Tom Renz is about to release something major on that, so uh, we know that that's covered. We know Dr. David Martin has, has been a focal point for him as well. I'm of the I'm of the thought process, Daniel. We just got to get in there, and what we have mm-hmm. to do are throw punches. So if we have a bunch of people from all around the country throwing punches at different angles, somebody's going to break through, and then we all rush into that breach. So in other words, the more the merrier. So my question is, why did you start with Oregon? You know, it's Ninth Circuit. Why not go to the mm-hmm. fifth or the eighth? Is this just where you had the people? Um, situated, so they live there, so that's where they get standing? We That's the first preliminary thought. I mean, what we have to do through this whole thing is expose the hypocrisy and the corruption. And when you take a forthright, logical, sequenced approach to this kind of attack strategy, the hypocrisy and the corruption exposes itself. And so what we're doing is going through every step. We're not skipping any steps along this way make sure that we have exposed everywhere where we have allies and everywhere where there is corruption and hypocrisy that is injuring the American people. Now, what, one thing I'm not clear about is, you know, if other people want to do this in other parts of the country, um, I want to get to the states, but let's still talk about the federal level. So in, in the states, you have it laid out specifically in state code how to do this so there are six states where individuals could actually petition to convene a grand jury it's it's rarely tried but it's it's straight up in law um and usually you need a certain number of signatures at a federal level so we know there's a concept of grand jury exists uh, we know a federal prosecutor or u.s attorney could convene one what is your argument that an individual could petition for it? And how would you petition if there's no kind of signature threshold uh, that's that's uh, enumerated in law? Well, you know, what's very interesting is in 1992, Chief Justice Scalia, before his untimely death, uh, under dubious circumstances, um, passed away. Uh, he authored a majority opinion under U.S. v. Williams. And that majority opinion went on at length with substantial case law and federal law backing it to establish in no uncertain terms that grand juries belong to the people. Since grand juries belong to the people, they are not, they are independent bodies of inquiry. They do not belong to the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the judicial branch. What that does is it means if they belong to us, we have to be able to access them. What's happened is they've put a gatekeeper, or so they've thought, the Justice Justice Department has put a gatekeeper in the way, being the district attorneys and the um, U.S. attorneys, with the unsubstantiated opinion that if the gatekeeper wasn't there, that the grand juries would be overrun with frivolous petitions. Yes. Well, 
it's not for the U.S. attorney or the Justice Department or a district attorney to determine in these instances what is frivolous and what is not. That is for the grand jury and the grand jury alone. They cannot act as in a, a manner that obstructs justice yep. to get that information before a grand jury. And that's what we are fighting for. In, right in other now. words, you're saying something a lot more fundamental than just COVID that, you know, look, we start off every show just just lamenting our our situation where we have the social compact flipped upside down inside out what a government should be doing it's not doing and actually facilitating the you know facilitating criminals facilitating a border invasion um focuses on everyone but americans you know the only anomalies in the stopgap budget bill are for other countries people not for our people um you know sabotage our food fuel medicine you name it and it's like we have nowhere to turn. We have everything is corrupted. Everything is rotted out. It's been coming this, you know, for a long time. So you're saying that that that's the point. There wasn't supposed to be a gatekeeper. There was a way for 23 citizens to say not just 23 citizens to you know have the ability to grab someone and hang them, but at least to potentially trigger a trial. That then, yeah, I mean, then you would have prosecution, a judge, and um, and and a petty jury. To, to make that determination to bring uh, to to convict uh, those individuals on criminal charges um, so so my question is is it really that free in other words where do you even get the 23 people and who determines that so you know again in these states where you have a formal petition my understanding would be a judge would kind of order, some sort of process for selection, just like you do with a petty jury. Um, I mean, grand juries obviously are convened all the time at the behest of prosecutions. What, how, mechanically, how would this work? Who would select them? Where would they come from? Well, grand, every state and every, and, and whether we're talking federal level or whether we're talking state level, it's a requirement that grand juries are always convened. So, you know, there's always a group of American citizens, just like me and you, who are working, uh, pri- uh, not pri- I shouldn't say privately, but um, anonymously, uh, you know, as grand jurors, right? This has always happened. The only time, Daniel, interestingly enough, that this wasn't going on was during 2020. All grand juries mm-hmm. were actually shut down during 2020, which is very curious. That's not supposed to happen. That is under no circumstances is that supposed to happen. So when when we look at this issue, we're going at this federally uh, because of the ramifications for the entire country as our as our first punch. Right. Um, At the state level, uh, there are six states, New Mexico, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nevada, Nebraska and North Dakota that still have uh, statutes in their constitutions and in their laws to uh, give citizens a direct pathway, albeit arduous, to enacting their own state grand jury. This used to be in every state. Um, It was just understood that grand juries was how you kept corruption at bay in government. Right. That's that that threat of a grand jury. It's just like a a Second Amendment. That threat of a gun is what holds keeps people from busting into your house from the government. Right. So, you know, what, what, what we look at with this is really simple. We have a fund. The grand juries belong to the people. We have a fundamental right to petition for regressive grievances, we have a fundamental right then to access that which belongs to us uninhibited by anyone in government that may be beholden to a weaponized political agenda. 
And we have to fight for that, that the acknowledgement of that fact that exists. Yeah. And we have to proceed in such a way that we make sure that it happens, because like you alluded to, it has far reaching ramifications for election integrity, far reaching ramifications for the border, far reaching ramifications for every aspect of what our country was intended and it is supposed to be. And we believe very fundamentally that we are going to fight for a country that's worth fighting for. Our country is worth fighting for. And that's what we're doing. So let me ask you this. I mean, you're trying to do it at a federal level, which, um, you know, we'll see. I, it, it's going to be tough mm-hmm. with this Obama-appointed judge, um, but other people mm-hmm. can do it elsewhere throughout the country. But then there's the state level because every state Department of Health acted through the same criminality. Um, a lot of them cooked the book. Some of it was at the behest of CDC. Um, but mm-hmm. but there were other things, and and some and some had direct orders, you know, for example, against ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. Everyone in this audience knows what their respective state governments did that violated human rights, violated um, state or federal statutes. So let's talk about state laws. You know, you, you're obviously targeting Javier Becerra, Alex Azar, who was the former HHS secretary when it started, um, Walensky. Uh, Redfield, you know, the current and former uh, officials during during the pandemic at HHS. So similar people could be roped in in certain states. So again, for those in the audience here, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, North Dakota, New Mexico, and Nevada. Okay, those states, Correct. typically, I think, usually, it might vary, but you need 2% of the general election population. So it's a lot, I mean, and you need funding. But again, rather than spending all this money on phony elections to elect a half a person that maybe might stand for good in a legislative body of 100 people, um, this is something that you could convene among the citizens and get a lot of discovery to bring up criminal charges against these people. This is an entire new angle. But so talk to me a little bit about how we would what sort of issues and people we would target at a state level that perhaps might give us a little bit more of more leverage and and also am i not wrong in the sense that it's not just those six states those are the ones where you could completely make an end run around the system but you know half the states supposedly are red and supposedly they say they don't agree with fauci well if you're in texas if you're in florida if you're in uh, alabama south carolina just to name a few, shouldn't there be an attorney general that's willing mm-hmm. to push this either? Um, and, and I'm not familiar if an attorney general could do this, if you would need a specific county prosecutor as a state prosecutor, you know, whatever it is. Could you shed some light on that? What people could bring to their elected Republican officials in these states? But, you know, they have to have a specific blueprint. They can't just say, well, they committed genocide the last two years, which they did. But what sort of blueprint could people use to follow what you guys did? Well, it, it's, a, it's a great question. It's one we've been pondering for quite some time. Our initial inclination was we wanted to get the case filed in federal court and start throwing some punches and see what they do. Right. This is an exploratory kind of. Um, skirmish that we're creating right now. It's a major one. We do expect it to be successful, but uh, we're also learning as we go. When we talk about replication of this at state levels, we do have the six states you before mentioned. 
that you have a direct way to go about it. And we will take that up. We've actually been in contact with uh, gubernatorial candidate Joey Gilbert in Nevada. He's been hugely supportive of what we are doing. Um, and he's, if he gets into the governorship and has the ability to convene his own grand jury, he's kind of made well, that well, kind did, of did, Well, uh, doctor, just for accuracy's sake and just for our listeners, unfortunately, he lost the primary. So... You know, um, oh, forgive me. I, I see this. Yeah, is how, Trump. This is Trump. How in the sand I've been. Yep. Exactly. The amazing Trump uh, uh, endorsed uh, someone else, uh, more establishment guy, as he typically does. Mm-hmm. So Joey, mm-hmm. unfortunately, lost that. Um, but then, but your po- we'll, yeah, your broader point we'll to, is, we'll I go mean, to Carrie Lake. We'll go anywhere. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, Daniel. And forgive me for not being abreast of that information. Uh, but what what it comes down to is, we need one person at at a high level yes. to say yes i want to do that but what we're what we're banking on with our strategy uh, daniel is I, i'm not waiting for that one person we're not going to wait for that one person that's why we said let's go at the federal level let's go at the top level let's prove what we can prove let's prove that our allegations are solid and have incredible substance let's get this before a grand jury have them investigate it and once they investigate it they mm. will have no choice but to issue a true bill, meaning that they have to hand down indictments and people that are named in those indictments will have to stand trial. So, you know, it just comes to mind as you're talking, this sounds like a very foreign concept to a lot of people, but the truth be told, there has been a pretty spectacular case in the public where this was recently done in Florida, where Governor DeSantis, again, you know, he's a governor. Um, he seemed to be able to convene one for the purpose of investigating, um, you know, criminal trafficking, human trafficking through the border. I, I mean, have you used that as as a study guide? Because I'm trying to think think there was there even a named defendant there? Was that just purely investigative? That's the beauty of it. You don't even have to have a named defendant wow. in, in, for a grand jury to investigate. And remember, a grand jury has the ability to determine its own jurisdiction. A grand jury has the ability to investigate, even if only to prove that no crimes were committed. A grand jury doesn't have to only convene or investigate because they've been appraised of alleged crimes. They can investigate anything at their own choosing to determine that a crime has not been committed as well. So there is they have just broad, incredible capabilities to set this right. And that's why we're going after it in this way. And, you know, I I have to study what uh, Governor DeSantis did. I can tell you that, in my opinion, from looking from afar, that there has been one person that has consistently made sense consistently done things the right way and done things for the reasons of integrity and what is right. And it's been that man and what he's done. And I just, I I love everything that he's done with respect to this pandemic. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting concept. Fraud of pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. So, so people could pressure their governors and attorneys general and say, Hey, you know, you need to convene a grand jury. Now you have to you have to name some state statutes that you believe the respective departments of health violated. Um, and obviously it would have to start at an angle, like we said, that you could prove willful misconduct. 
not just stupidity, um, but that shouldn't be hard to prove with with some elements of this because otherwise you have the prep act issue, which does absolve those figures. Um, you know, not just the drug companies, but you know, potentially any any uh, federal official. Now, is there any other immunity that we have to get around for publicly elected officials? Um, yeah, there is one more immunity we have to get past in our country. Um, public apathy. <laughs> Nothing creates immunity for evil like public apathy. Wow. No, that's 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 the thing. Where there's a will, there's a way. And there's no question that at least some angles of the pandemic, you can get in there. And like you said, it's a hook. Once you're in there, all this data on excess deaths, because that speaks to um, the injury, in fact. This is the injury mm-hmm. that flowed from that misinformation, that manipulation of information. Uh, they have to keep certain records and theirs. They promised to keep that they did not. Um, all the stalled FOIAs. And what's the result? The result is all these excess deaths. Before you go, I know I brought you on more to talk about the grand juries, but this is kind of the end result of it. Could you tease out a little bit some of the data you're looking at with excess cancers and how you, how do you determine that um, and, and, and why you suspect it's from the shots? Well, I, I would encourage everybody to look up uh, John Bodwin. Uh, he's uh, a member of our team. He's done an excellent job filing as an independent citizen um, and, a, and a request for an injunction in the state of Massachusetts. He's put together an exhibit F as a part of his uh, as a part of his filing that is public access. Everyone can read it. Um, we are looking. He's the only person in the country that has been able to get. Thank God there was some angel. Daniel in Massachusetts that uh, honored his FOIA request, his state FOIA request for death certificates, and he got everything. And it more than corroborates what we have been saying in our peer review papers and in our petitions. And when we look at the data a little closer, what we see something very interesting. There are several instances where 2020 data for what the supposed cause of death was matched what was happening in 2019 and excuse me, in 2018 and 2017 and years prior. And then something interesting happens in those instances. 2021 data is way above the 2020 data. 2022 data is way above the 2020 data. And when we have that fact, what that tells us is that there must be something else that is causing those deaths. The only thing that has been introduced in the public on mass scale that could be even reasonably attributed to that increase in 2021 and 2022 are the shots, are these experimental shots. So it gives people, it's going to give, we're going to drop something pretty soon, and it's going to give people some understanding through the data of why we have been calling for a termination of this program pending a thorough independent investigation. Uh, into it, that 31,000 people could be killed, that 1.4 million injuries could be reported, that over 8,000, Daniel, over 8,000 people could die after getting the shots within 48 hours, says that we need to shut this program down. And we need to step back and take a breath and realize that this was not an emergency. We, what has come out of it, Daniel, 
is an emergency and the greatest biologic, in my opinion, emergency in human history. We are on the precipice of an extinction level event if we don't shut this program. Oh, yeah. I mean, because they're going to do it with the flu shots now. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, with the mRNA platforms and they're 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 basically in uh, stage three um, of their development. So this is a this is a big deal. So you're saying that you guys have gotten a hold of Massachusetts death certificate um, death codes and you could count up for a baseline of previous years and then into 2021, 2022 for malignant neoplasms the different codes for different types of cancers and those codes when you tally them are numer- you know several standard deviations above whatever that median was for you know a 5 year baseline or whatever yes sir the, and the only plausible probable variable that has changed is the introduction of these experimental shots we're also seeing the same stuff, obviously, with cardiovascular and sure. bloodborne causes of death and things like that. But it's jaw-dropping when you look at the data of what's out there. And it's why we must replicate this. Well, it, you know what? Let, let, before, I'm not, I don't want to waste time replicating this anymore. We have to shut this down yes. and do immediate investigation and hold people who lied to the public and lied all their way through this to account because they are guilty, in my opinion, of crimes against humanity and the truest sense of that phrase could ever be. And by convening grand juries, this is how we can get this sort of information because we know these are basic statistics. There's no way they don't have them. Sometimes accidentally we got leaked things like in Massachusetts. They have this stuff. They absolutely do. Um, like, you know, I said today from the Epic Times where they, they had a FOIA stymied where they won't uh, give over the data of um, autopsies on post-vaccine deaths, which they absolutely definitely have done and they do have. This is the type of stuff you would subpoena call witnesses, and it's definitely a multi-pronged strategy, state and federal level, that I think could be done in several angles. Thanks so much for what you're doing. Again, it's beyondthecon.com to find out the background about this, the timeline, and how you can get involved. Dr. Ely, boy, you're really fighting this on all cylinders. Thanks so much for what you do, and keep us updated. Uh, will do, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. And let every, I'm going to let the audience know I'm going to reach out to Joey this weekend and see if he wants to get back in the fight in Nevada and maybe launch something in Nevada specifically. Absolutely. All righty. Take care. God bless. So, folks, again, I mean, that was Dr. Henry Ely. Terrific, very unique individual. Um, Food for thought. I mean, you know, there are a lot of obstacles to, to doing this. It's limited in scope to get in the door. But once you get in the door, there's a lot you can do to really get a degree of discovery that we need and and I, I would just say, keep in mind that the Florida governor has done this with human trafficking. And this this is a magnitude of a holocaust, what took place. I, it's shocking how we couldn't get some part of the country to convene some sort of grand jury. It only takes one, and then we could really make a thing of this. And then just let the wheels churn in your brain. All the other criminal activity that that took place think about hospitals and doctors individual hospitals bringing them up on criminal charges not just like the public officials but like hospital staff 
Um, again, the PREP Act does exempt them of a lot of things, but there are certainly allegations of medical kidnapping, where they, cases where they gave remdesivir against the wishes um, of the patient put on illegal DNRs when they explicitly said not to. Um, these are things that are not covered by the PREP Act, as bad as the PREP Act is. So, look, this is where it's at. I mean, at a federal level, it's Rule 6A1, 6A1 of the Rules of Criminal Procedures, if you want to look it up. When the public interest so requires, the court must order that one or more grand juries be summoned. And then, you know, grand jury is 1623 members. The court must order that enough legally qualified persons be summoned to meet this requirement. Um, and they have grand juries all the time, and often they're used against us. <laughs> Uh, and certainly the FBI and DOJ makes use of them when they want to. It, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword. It, it, you know, it, obviously, technically, if you, know, if you know how to work the system, it's a shield and a sword at the same time. It was designed as a shield to put a layer between the public and an out-of-control, tyrannical government that would try to just grab people up on charges without proper probable cause. So say, all right, so, you know, you know, because it's not enough just to have a, a jury of your peers for conviction, but you know, even to go through trial, you know, to to you, theoretically, you could just grab anyone and indict them. So they said, "All right, well, let's get twenty three people of your peers to see if there's probable cause." Um, but it could also be used as a sword. That's the thing where people do need to be prosecuted, and they're not to get around the gatekeepers. Um, and again, I mean, there's six states you can do it alone. There's other states you have to see whether at, at you know district attorneys or the attorney general of the state could do it, whether the governor could do it. Um, I, I I I apologize. I don't remember offhand if technically it was the attorney general in Florida convening it on human trafficking, and the governor just kind of politically was in charge of that, or or legally he directly in uh, uh, panel did, or. Um, you know, because I know the judge did rule that he can do it. I don't know if you needed the judge's ruling or the judge agreed. Um, I do need to read up on that a little bit more, but I think that that might be good weekend reading homework for you guys. How do you do this in your state? And start thinking of all the criminal things that have been done. And again, you have to find a specific state statute that's been violated and a specific target sometimes. It does seem like sometimes you could convene them for investigative purposes. Again, I, as you could tell, I've not looked into every aspect of this. So those of you who are much more adept to dealing with grand juries in your legal career, let me know. Email me, danielhorowitz at startmail.com. We are pretty much done for the week. We'll be back same time, same place on Monday. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.